And welcome once again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and you can find me on Twitter at Bob McDonald. Follow at your own risk. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, Matt Dudek. Hey there, everybody. Matt, of course, you can find on Twitter as well at Horizon Matt. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter as well at Horizon RT. And you can visit our site at HorizonRoundtable.com. And be sure to subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. And Matt, why am I here? <laughs> We're just hanging out, Bob. I mean, you, no, you, you are here to mediate. You are oh, the- mediate. I hope you threw the air quotes up on that because uh, joining yeah. us, of course, uh, joining us again, um, hasn't been on in a while, but uh, uh, Jim Saro. Jim, thanks for joining us once again. Hey, thanks for having me. And I actually have the same question. Why am I here? Uh, I think there was a GIF and a mime uh, or yeah, a mime photo that got me back on here. <laughs> You know, many weeks I wonder, why are we here? Okay, that's a, you know what, you know what, this episode is just going to be me laughing in the background for 45 minutes, so enjoy your day. Um, but Jim, Jim, you've actually been kind of busy since last you've been on. You've actually, uh, you actually uh, was a, uh, did guest spots with Brian Dickman over at Fear the Phoenix, and I, I guess we should say we've been a bad influence on you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we've definitely gotten a few podcasts off the ground. I give Brian a hard time though because uh, he'll get a little momentum going and then uh, you know goes uh, quiet for a few weeks at a time. But uh, those have been really enjoyable. And and actually, I want to give you guys a little shout out because I thought that uh, the the Horizon Roundtable podcast with some of the guests you guys have had on has uh, been really great. And I just want to tell you guys keep up the good work, no oh, matter Jim, what Matt and I decide to disagree on today. Jim, you don't have to suck up. You're already on, buddy. <laughs> But um, we have since we haven't had you on, I I, I kind of wanted to start things off with asking you, um, because we haven't had gotten your opinion on the Will uh, on the Will Ryan hire. Um, and I know it's been a little while, and we've kind of seen what he's been capable of to this point. So, um, tell us a little about about what your what your thoughts are on on how things have gone since he's been uh, taking on the head coaching role. Yeah, I got a couple of things that you know jump out to me right away. So, um, one, I had an opportunity to meet him and talk to him for I don't know, half hour, forty five minutes, something like that. And I'll just say that he's a really great guy. I mean, he just comes across as a really good guy. He has a great personality, uh, very easy to talk to. I think he's somebody that the Northeast Wisconsin community, the Green Bay uh, fan base, is really going to uh, like. And that's important. I tell this to people all the time that. Um, until the leader of your program is liked by your community, you got to give people a reason to get engaged. And that's the one constant. You know, the players come and go, but the coach will be there hopefully for a long time. Look at Oakland with 20-something years of, of Coach Campy. And uh, so I think that's really important. Something else I think is really important is he put together a staff that of younger guys. And, you know, I don't think any of them are over 40, but they all have uh, some really interesting experience. And two of the three guys have really strong ties to the state of Wisconsin. And that's led to the third bullet point. If we've already received a commitment for our class of 2021 from, uh, I believe, the seventh-ranked player in the state of Wisconsin, hmm. I, a, a guy named Cade Meyer, he's 6'8", can play on the perimeter. Uh, he's a really good high jumper, so he's super athletic. Uh, he had Valparaiso, uh, UWM, a bunch of top mid-majors looking at him. He had some interest from Butler, Marquette. Uh, so it, for to get a player of that caliber right out of the gate, uh, has some Green Bay fans that I talked to very excited. So I think on the whole, 
you know, I don't know how we got to the point where we needed a new coach, but we got there, and we so far have uh, I have very high remarks for Coach Ryan. Is this the I, I disagree with you or not yet? Is that later? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, let me okay. let me throw something in there and then you can disagree with him. Um, I've noticed, by the way, that uh, and it's interesting that they went this route. Um, Green Bay did because it seems that it seems there's like there's a pattern within the Horizon League itself to get, you know, the, to get all these young guys who make me feel older than the hills to come in and, co- you know, uh, take over these head coaching go- jobs. Dennis Gates over at Cleveland State's a good example. Luke Yaklich is a good example. Um, I don't know how old Darren Horn is. He's probably older. He's probably younger than me, too, because, you know, any. But but that seems to be kind of the pattern with and now Will Ryan. Um, is it I guess my question would be, is that because there has been a shift in the conference to these younger guys knowing that at some point in time, if they succeed, these younger guys are going to eventually um, move up the ranks and then they'll just start the whole cycle over again. I mean, is that, it's, it's, it seems to me that that is, has always been the case with the horizon league, but have, have we finally got to a point where the horizon league teams kind of caught on to that? Well, you know, I think, the youth movement is exciting for fans around the league. And don't forget, even though he's been with uh, Robert Morris for a while, Andy Tool is like 40 years old. So they've That's got another true. young I didn't re- And we had him on the show and I could not, I get a podcast and I cannot believe he, I think he's like, what, 39 or something. I'm like, I didn't even realize. And Jared Calhoun over ever at uh, Youngstown State too. You know, yep. again, this giant youth movement. But, you know, one thing to kind of look at, and it kind of feeds into some of the things that uh, I think I got wrangled and that I will get wrangled into talking about today is that there is also an element of the league itself has come down in stature a little bit. Like, it it doesn't seem like we're going to go out and get a a bunch of Scott Nagy type guys. We're going to, you know, go out there and and hire guys that we're going to take a flyer on and say, hey, everything looks good on paper, and we're going to give them their first opportunity and see what they've got, uh, as opposed to you know, being able to go out to another top mid-major and saying, well, hey, we're going to pay a guy $600,000 a year to leave this $400,000 a year job to come to the horizon. We're not seeing any of that right now. So I think there's um, there's some excitement about building with young guys. And then there's also some realities about, hey, the candidate pool is not going to be as big when you are where the league has been recently, at least in my opinion. Now you can disagree with him, Matt. <laughs> All right. So I think the Will Ryan hire, actually, I, I don't disagree that it's a – it's a good hire. I think it is. I think it was a panic hire, and I still don't really? believe it was necessary. As far as getting rid of Link Darner, there, there seemed to be no good reason, except that Green Bay, as we know, you, you guys are kind of your own little colony up there, and they needed a Green Bay guy. You guys have this like huge tie to, we have to have Wisconsin guys and Wisconsin people, and we don't want to be University of Wisconsin, we don't want to be anybody else, but we have to have this huge, like, it's it's just seems overly important. Like, I see it like, the Green Bay Packer fans too. I don't know. I, I just I, I see it and it's kind of weird to me. Like I mean, you, Luke Yaklich is a great hire for UIC. He doesn't have Chicago ties necessarily. I mean, he's not a a born and bred Chicago guy. Like he's from Illinois, but you know he's not. He wasn't entrenched in the middle of that. You know the way Will Ryan is. So I just felt it was a weird hire with getting rid of Link Darner in the first place. Like, and I mean for a school that's having notable money issues and cutting not sports as bad as to have to. What's that? Not as bad as right state. Not as bad as right state, which by the way, side 
note, I, just so we can say that we talked about it on the podcast today, they did get their waiver. They're good for this year. I did not see how long the right state waiver is good for, but they are good to continue as a Div 1 school for now. Um, we, gonna, expect- we were going to have a whole thing about that, but go on. Okay, I didn't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The Will Ryan hire was just weird just in timing. Like, I mean, it, it was a fine hire, but yeah, you were taking flyers on younger coaches, and Green Bay especially just seems to, to need a Green Bay and a Wisconsin guy and Wisconsin kids. And I mean, some of it might just be, and I'm not a Green Bay expert, like, I think you have to have those things to get better players at that school for that school to succeed because a kid from Chicago is not interested in coming to Green Bay. A kid from the Midwest, or, you know, not from the Midwest, a kid from I. Iowa is not necessarily looking at Green Bay, and you have to have something to attract them. So I think it makes sense from that standpoint, but it just at, seemed like a the, weird hire. At the same time, Matt, look who their top player is: Murray Davis from Dayton. I know For he's now. not. I know he's not. I know he's not a. He, I know he's a he's a link darter guy, but he could have easily gotten out of Dodge just like everybody else did, and he didn't. I'm just kind of throwing true. that out there. Well, I mean, and we'll see. I, if he sticks it out. And Will Ryan shows that he can keep a kid like like that and get the local stuff and build a program, then I'll look stupid, and I'm used to that too. That's okay, but we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens over time. I think that that's going to be the, the the real test for them. It just like I said, it was just a weird trend. Like I, I didn't see link the link Darner firing coming. It was a weird weird thing. And the thing about that man is like nobody really knows why that happened, how they got to that point, why the timing of it happened. So you know. I, I'm just not even thinking about that anymore because, quite frankly, like I don't think I'll ever understand. And I know a lot of things that go on, but nobody's ever going to tell me what really happened. Uh, so I just focused on it from a standpoint of like, hey, we, you know, got rid of our coach in the middle of May, and at that point in time, you know, you're scrambling a little bit. And the other issue that Green Bay had in, uh, in terms of their recruiting pool is that. Uh, Will Ryan signed a six-year, $175,000 a year plus incentive contract. At a hundred seventy-five thousand dollars price point, like your candidate pool is coming down immensely, oh, uh, and that yeah, you know that that is a challenge that they have run into. Now the incentives that they put into his contract, he can actually make more than what Link Darner was making, but he's going to do that by the program making more money through, um, you know, uh, fundraising. I can't even believe I'm going to say the following yes. two words: buy say, games. Yes, <laughs> say those words. Let's go there. Hold on, I gotta get this. I gotta get the soap out of my mouth for swearing on the podcast. So, I'm sorry. Did uh, you say that your team needed buy games? Oh, Matt. Hey, you know how I feel. I know that they need them. It's the reason they need them, and what it, the damage it's doing to them is what got us uh, started on this whole thing. But we'll get back to that in a second. Okay. But yeah, the thing is, the contract that they structured for him is he could make more. Like by my count, he could easily make you know two fifty to three hundred uh, off of incentives. But the program then is going to have more money coming in. Their their revenue is about 1.9 million. The last report that I saw, uh, for him to make more money, the revenue is going to be you know probably in the 2.1 to 2.2 range, which means the program has more money to spend on other things. So it's kind of a it's an interesting way to structure it. I will say that there are some people that have really held on to the Dick Bennett legacy from 25 years ago. Um, you know that that is a factor you know in the the community decision making. But um, you know as I say periodically to people like at some point the dick bennett tree is going to cease to exist so then what are we going to do as a program like stop playing d1 basketball so to me i think i get out from underneath that at some point but uh on the whole given the circumstances i'm very pleased but why we got there i mean that's a whole different podcast quite frankly goodbye i mean 
I guess I, I said what I said. Uh, I, it's, it is a good hire. I just don't know why. And like he said, we'll probably never know why, and that's fine. But other than that, it's the hire's fine. I mean, we'll see. He's a young coach. He's got he's got the name, and around there, that's important. I will say one thing, Matt, but for Green Bay Athletics, I know you, you know you're not an expert in it, but people seeing them cutting sports, and this is just my opinion, so nobody from the athletic department has told that's me this directly. But... I, I, you know, as you guys may remember, I was in athletics. I've been, you know, around it for 25 years. My freshman year when I started in cross country was 1995. So I've been around it and in touch with it for a long time. And the sports that they cut, you know, men's and women's tennis, they removed scholarships for um, swimming and diving as well as uh, Nordic skiing. My outsider opinion of that is taking the resources that they have because nobody has said they got less money you know, coming in. They just said we are redirecting it essentially because uh, we have a kick-ass soccer field. We have a uh, really awesome on-campus basketball arena. Plus we have a really great community arena that we use. Uh, they just finished a brand new softball field. Uh, volleyball plays in the on-campus arena. It's really nice. It, so it's kind of like, hey, we can be really good at the following things. So we're going to take our money and put it in those and everything else be like, okay, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to get down to the minimum of uh, what we have. And the, the programs that they left, are things that like I was a part of cross country. It's very inexpensive to run that, and they uh-huh. kept that going. So I think there's sending like the wrong signal necessarily, but or people misinterpreting the signal. It's not that they're in financial crunch. It's that they're really just putting all their eggs in certain baskets. And that that makes a lot of sense. We just as we're seeing schools all around the country freaking out, and for all the right reasons, and programs being cut left and right. It's it's I think it's pretty easy and natural to jump to the conclusion of. There's a money problem because I think for pretty much anybody, there is a money problem. It's just to what extent. That, and and in the Green Bay situation, it's always been a little befuddling to me, at least, because we've talked about kind of their uh, not just the, the, the we've never really we've only ever really talked about the money situation in terms of the fact that Green Bay is the smallest school in the Horizon League and that. You know, the, the, the consequence of that is there's less of a potential pool of money that could be coming into Green Bay. Um, but and I know Jimmy and I many, many on many occasions discussed you know, kind of how the how Green Bay has kind of navigated those waters a little bit. Obviously, this year is going to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more of a challenge or, you know, or whatever, but or not whatever. It's going to be all. I'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but by and large, it seems to me that that Green Bay has kind of you know navigated the financial waters pretty well. Um, which also, which again, you know, and, and but still, and again, goes back to the how on earth did the whole um, yeah the whole Link Darner thing happen? Knowing full well you're going to there's going to have to be a buyout and there's money there. That's not necessarily going to be there. Um, that's the question that probably, and clearly it has to say, while we also never know about exactly what happened, the circumstances will also probably not know how they were able to, you know, financially get everything to get, get everybody, get everything together. So that would be possible, I guess. Yeah, I I think with the on that front of things, you're seeing a couple of things like you know sixty thousand of it basically is coming from they don't pay Will Ryan as much as they paid Link Darner, and sure. then you know they have five buy games this year as you know, instead of two or three, um, so they're oh, making yeah. extra money you know making extra money there off of that. Now 
you know, there's other, and there's hopefully an increase in donations coming, which is I think the big linchpin in all this. Because if you look at how Will Ryan's contract is structured, it is heavily influenced on donation dollars and on ticket on ticket sales growth. And so, um, you know, I think that they're kind of just doing it like the American way. They don't have the money; they're just going to borrow it. And, and Link's contract is pay as you go. It's you know they gave him some money now, some more in January, and it's twenty grand a month thereafter. And I think it's just pay as you go. Um, but you know, Green Bay is kind of an interesting thing because uh, I got to you know, take a little uh, jab at Jimmy Lemke here. I don't know if he listens anymore, but uh, Green Bay is actually one of only two schools in the UW system of the four-year campuses that's been growing three straight years of enrollment growth, 10% a year. Uh, they're actually not going to be the smallest school on the horizon for much longer. Uh, with the way Wright State's going and saying, hey, we're going to be down to 10,000 students pretty quick. Green Bay's looking at their momentum and saying we're going to be over 10,000 students pretty quick. Um, that's a, because that's very strange, and I the, the whole the whole right state situation has been kind of a slow train wreck for going on at least five years now. Um, and while this is all going on, Scott Nagy is still the highest paid coach in the league. I mean, it tells and you we still the, have the, absolutely no idea what exactly the deal is they made with the NCAA to get their waiver for Division One, because as we mentioned in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, maybe or about a month or so ago, because Central Michigan got a waiver as well. But the stipulation there was within two years or so, they would have to add in sports. And and yes, I mean, true, you know, Wright State could go into one of these low-cost sports like cross-country or, you know, shooting or bowling or whatever they want to do. Um, but we don't know exactly the, 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 the details of that. And also, too, and, and I and I know I brought this up, that the effects of Wright State's cuts, as well as Green Bay's cuts, has affected some of the sports beyond the beyond basketball. Because I believe, uh, I want to say women's tennis is now below, only has, there are only, I want to say, five teams in women's tennis now, I think. Um, that sounds about right. That's not good. It- um, I mean, the question then becomes, what does the league do about that then? I mean, and we don't really know the answer to that one. Do they bring in an know, associate member? What do they do? I think you might see some of that as this is happening across the country, some of the you know, consolidation of programs on the associate member front. If, if you're in another league that's down to five uh, tennis programs, now let's play, you know, let's get a 10-member 10, 10 associate league going or whatever. Well, well hey, then I he- I do know the answer on how Wright State got their waiver, though. How is that? They are going to be in the Missouri Valley in two years, making all that Missouri Valley money. <laughs> they can afford basketball again. Come on, man. All right, guys, that's the podcast. Everyone have a great week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I kid. I kid. That's just a little joke for all the people that think that they're going to the Missouri Valley. Uh, we still doing that again? Uh. Yeah, that's. Our, I always thought it was going to be the A10, but you know, sure, Missouri Valley. Let's go with that. That it used to be the A10. Now it's the Missouri Valley. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter now, because let's face it, at this point in time, it doesn't look like anybody's going anywhere at the moment. But to your point, by the way, I think also the Summit League is having that same issue with some of the non-revenue sports. I believe tennis is one of them. So there may be, as 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 you say, some consolidation possibilities, at least in the short term. Um, but then again, let's be honest, you know, 
everybody's got plenty of time on the uh anybody people got plenty of time to do things because um we since last we were on the horizon league announced that instead of postponing the fall sports schedule they're just going to flat out cancel it for this season if you're going to play if they're going to play any of their fall sports next year uh, they're going to play any fall sports they're going to do it in spring of 21. can i also just say i'm super bummed and like we don't get into non-revenue sports a whole lot yeah for the, all the right reasons, and I, I get it, but Oakland's soccer team this year was predicted to be a top 20 team nationally. I'm really, really? hoping they get this team together and get to play. They, the, the Eric uh, Pogue has done some amazing recruiting, and I'm actually kind of bummed to not see that team playing right now. I was really hyped for what they were about to bring to the pitch. I would not be surprised if you see sports like soccer and volleyball uh, carry over into the spring because the horizon league isn't the only team i mean nearly everybody has canceled their fall sports nearly everybody has followed canceled their fall sports so it stands to reason that yeah we're gonna see we're gonna see a whole swath of of college teams in division one of all levels low mid-major power five they're gonna all get together and do i think there's some of these they're gonna do something in the spring which means spring is going to be super awesome for everybody, uh, unless, of course, you know, even worse things happen than have already COVID been going 20, on. COVID-20 is going to wreck us. COVID-21, this year it's for real. <laughs> well, yeah, on, on the non-revenue sports, too, women's volleyball has gotten really strong in the Horizon League. Yeah. You, you know, they had two teams, I believe, in the tournament in Green Bay on the cusp of the uh, tournament last year, and I believe Robert Morris went women are really good at volleyball as well. So it's like Four the other been good at it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and so I, I feel like the, that's getting better for the league. And so for them to lose those sports, yeah. they won, Cleveland state won like four, worked for the, I think four titles in a row, I think. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that is definitely something to look, look towards, but moving on. Cause this is probably kind of at the crux of the uh our uh our what was we're going to have our discussion on um i know you guys are going to have the uh, you guys want to talk about kind of the benefits and the 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 advantages and disadvantages pro con point counterpoint on the whole buy game thing but if we're being honest why i'm not sure if this is the year to be having that conversation i don't know if any of those games are going to even happen and if um, they do, the the revenue they we're we're hearing reports of, the, of yes. things are different. You know, if there's no fans, power teams aren't paying as much, or you are only paying other teams' expenses. You know, it's everyone's just kind of making this shit up as they go right now, and you can't blame them. No, and then the other, and then yeah, I mean, you, you have all of these conversations about, or can we can we replicate what the NBA is doing with the bubble, or or do we want to? When do we want to? They don't even they haven't even even figured out when they're going to start the season. Dear Horizon yeah. League, if anyone from the offices is listening, I'm not kidding. I will lock into the bubble. I will test. Let, let's do a Horizon League bubble. I will cover it. I got this. I'm ready. Okay. You, you heard that, Dan? Dan Glea over the... Uh, Please. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, you've been forewarned. If there's a bubble, I'm putting in my... I'm putting in a credential request on behalf of the Horizon Roundtable for Matt. <laughs> I'm in. I have He's to go in. ahead. I'm good. Let's do this. Good for you. <laughs> yep. So, so Matt will be our bubble guy. We're going to start calling Matt Bubble Boy. I'm in. I'll wear well, a bubble if I have to. Like, I'll bubble the bubble. I don't care. Well, I mean, yeah. 
Matt's gonna look like Matt's gonna look like that scene from Naked Gun where they're in body condoms running around. Like that's gonna be Matt. I was going to say Jake Gyllenhaal and Bubble Boy, but that's a whole yeah. You went a way other way than I did. I'm in. I'll do it all. I got this. Committed. He'll have free time. You know. Oh God. <laughs> Plenty of time. So. You know, Bob, I definitely agree, though, with what you're saying that this year, buy games, like the money, like it's this year, whatever you have to do to survive as a league and a program, like I, I really don't care. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, I care. I, I, it's like, do whatever you got to do. If you got to play 10 buy games at $50,000 a pop, if you can get them, do it. Like, because this is all, this is such an unusual time. But one of the things that, you know, has gotten Matt and I going back and forth on Twitter about this particular topic is that I think it's the single biggest reason the league has eroded so far from its place as a you know top third basketball league and that you know inadvertently this mindset of well all that matters is three days or four days in march and what you do in the horizon league tournament has caused programs to you know do some things that are really harmful for their metrics and then that trickle down effect of you know the poor metrics is then you know we're uh you know having Fewer wins when we come in, so fan interest is lower. Then recruiting sucks. Then donations suck. And then we get to the NCAA tournament, we get a 15 or you know 15 seed, and we get our ass whooped. And you know then there's no excitement around the league. And so the scheduling thing and, and the research that I have on it, while not applicable to the 2020 2021 season, is really applicable to what we've been doing. And something that stood out about the great guests that you guys have had on, I heard you know um, uh, Fort, Fort Wayne's coach uh, John Kaufman say you know it's all about challenging themselves i know matt you know coach champion wants to challenge himself and andy tool talked about playing some teams that's so freaking damaging to our you know metrics and i hear lacrone saying we want to be a two-bid league again well you're going about it the wrong way and that's what got that's what's getting me fired up and that's why i think why i'm uh here to (laughs) to to talk so i and, and to your point and to your point it's always been for me, at least, it's always been not necessarily that part of it, but always the fact that this is this the Horizon League has perennially been that way station conference, not unlike an Atlantic Sun or a Summit League, where you have a team that's going to be in your conference for a couple years get good and then get the hell out of Dodge or in the case of Loyola just happen to be in the, in the market, in a market that somebody really, really wants you to be in like Chicago. Um, and, and it's, and that has been going on since the league has started. That's, you know, the early nineties, the reason that most of us are in this league, most of us are in this conference to begin with is because there was a mass exodus, like within about two or three years of LeCrone taking over as commissioner. And he had to figure out who exactly was going to be a part of this conference. So he had to go to the uh, the Summit League, which was the Mid-Continental Congress, uh, Mid-Continent Congress uh, Conference at the time. Uh, I would think about editing that out, but hell with it um Not roll with that and bob is your second passion politics or something jeez yeah um no comment at this point in time um i but anyway i can but the but then you see the what was i want to say what was considered the the mid-con six which was cleveland state wright state green bay milwaukee 
um, Northern Illinois, who is obviously not there anymore, and I'm thinking of UIC. So those six teams came over to the Horizon League and basically saved the conference. Uh, well, basically saved the conference because otherwise they would have went down below uh, the minimum and they would have had they would have had some problems. But then again, as we moved forward, we've seen um, teams like you know, right within that first year, Xavier left. Then obviously, in more recent history, we had Butler who decided to leave. And then decided to leave their, the, the conference they went to, the A-10, again. You saw Loyola leave. You saw Valpo leave. Um, so I guess the question that I have is, you know, I, I don't want to say who's next, but who's next? No, not right state. <laughs> I mean, let me let me back up. I mean, all right, so a lot of what Jim said, I, I, I understand the validity of it. But, of course, the Crone's going to come out and say yeah we want to be a two-bid league again no no commissioner from their, their conference is like yeah we're going to be a pretty shitty one one team league right now and you know that's who we are but there's not an elite team with butler you had an elite team that you knew was going to be one and then with them you could you could find a second team to, to maybe sneak in there especially if your elite team doesn't win it out you can get two teams in that way right now we're not set up for that we don't have an elite team right state's the closest we have and they can't seem to put it together in the conference tournament not oakland bad but they're struggling to put it together when it matters and they're not good enough on their own to to just get that auto bid so we talked a little bit about non-revenue sports that's why these buy-in games are important and at some point that's more important for an athletic director then your basketball, like your basketball team in this league, might be your bread and butter, but they're not the only thing. I, I have some non-revenue coaches that like to message me, like, "Hey, could you give us a little bit of love on Twitter and like make sure that you know there are other sports other than basketball?" And I'm sure there's some animosity there, just because they they want they need their sport to get get that attention too. And what it comes down to is everything's not about basketball. While we talk basketball, it's the most important for us. It's mm-hmm. the it's the highest revenue sport. At the same time, basketball also. It, it's it's the parent. It has to pay for the other kids to still be able to do their stuff. And that's why the buying games become important. It's not about the league. It's not about seeding. It's about making sure that when shit hits the fan, like this year, the, the athletic departments that have been playing these buying games are sitting a little bit prettier than some of the schools that weren't. And there's a reason for that. They had the money. And they, they I mean, for lack of a better term, they've hoard themselves out to make sure that everybody else still gets to do their job too. And I think that's important. And, you know, while maybe, and this isn't specific, maybe your volleyball coach is frustrated because basketball gets all the attention. They also appreciate the fact that they still have, you know, new uniforms coming in this year, thanks to the basketball team's attention and in the basketball team going and getting shelled at North Carolina made sure that, you know, they, they had a season or whatever the case may be, or that maybe they got a one plane trip in there instead of, you know, a 15 hour bus ride or whatever the case may be. And at some point you have to look bigger picture. And that is what the buying games for. Then when you have really good coaches that have made, you know, that aren't the new kid on the block necessarily, that's where you can schedule and go and maybe get your ass kicked twice at Oklahoma state. And then you get them in your gym once. And that's pretty cool. And you don't see a lot of the teams in this league getting, getting that return game anywhere, whether it's a neutral site or in, in our smaller gyms. And that's, that's what we're missing. And that is one thing where, when me and Jim have talked about this on Twitter and gone back and forth, where as an Oakland person, I, I see it this way, where, hey, I, I get to see the payout on on that and know that not only are programs still succeeding because of these buy-in games, but you eventually get to see, you know, Tennessee come in and, and lose in the arena 
or um, Oregon lose at the Palace, or you know, hopefully Oklahoma State in a couple of years, if, if we ever play basketball again, gets to come into the arena and we see what happens. And and that's why I'm I'm okay with the buy-in game because it looks bigger picture. And right now we are one big league. And at the point that we have a really elite team, the buy-in game isn't going to make the difference. The metrics, I get it, but at the same time, if you have an elite team that's going to get in either way, th- then cool. You know, we, we're not, we don't have two teams good enough to make the conference or to make the NCAA tournament right now. Let me ask right. you guys this. Hold on a second. Before I know you want to say something, but let me ask you guys this. Let me play devil's advocate here for a minute. If that is the case, and I, I and maybe that is the case at at Oakland, um, the question that I have would then be to both of you. The, remember last year, Wright State didn't have a bye game. Would they be in the situation they're in right now had they gotten one of those? I bet yes. you it would be bad. I mean, I think they'd still be in this situation, but if they weren't paying their coach, you know, $500,000 and maybe played some buy-in games to raise some extra money, it would probably help. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt, but, you know, one thing to keep in mind here, just think about the math. A, a buy game, a good buy game is $110,000. That's a really good one. Like most of them, if you get know what you're doing, it's 100 Some of them are 85 to 90 depending on who you're playing and when you're playing. If you play three of those, you're talking $300,000 maximum. Most of the programs in the Horizon League are spending $10 million on athletics. So the buy games are not keeping these athletic departments afloat. In the case of Oakland, they're turning around and giving Campy 100000 of that for whichever game he wants or whichever game they want to pay him from. He's taking all the money from it. So that's not putting you know sneakers on the volleyball players. It's putting you know it's putting Campy on the golf course. And I got no problem with that. He's earned that right. But like it's not it's not the difference in the money. And I'm sure that there is a stipulation. And and to your point, you mentioned that there is a stipulation, the buy game stipulation in Will Ryan's contract. I know there is one in Dennis Gates' contract as well. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there is a financial incentive to do that on either of their cases. But to your point, there is there, there may be some incentive to do that as well. Um, Will Ryan gets 25% of all buy game revenue above 300,000. So if they take in $400,000, he makes $25,000. So that's not going to anybody else's sport. But it's going to Will Ryan's pocket, like. But that's and so that's after X amount that they've probably determined that they need. three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand right. is the number that they have to bring in. But what I'm telling you is that first and foremost, like, just from the standpoint of, is this money being redistributed among athletics? It's not redistributed. It's actually just not sucking from the teat. But it's not the difference between keeping the lights on or not. When you're talking two hundred thousand dollars on a you know ten or twelve million dollar budget, um, it's not it's not the difference in what keeps the lights on. And, you know, something along the same lines of, like, why the buy games are damaging. Like, you want to have an elite team. Wright State last year didn't play anybody. And even the few good teams they played, like Indiana State, who wasn't even that good, they lost to. But they came in, their metrics, you know, Ken Palm, Net, were in the 120 range. And where that comes from is you have to understand how damaging these buy games are to your metrics. Like, if we just played a smarter schedule, every one of our league members would come into the non-conference sitting somewhere higher than where they are like something that's really important to understand like if you look at ken palm is a really good example for this um i'll, I'll give you guys a little quiz because i got some i got some numbers you guys will appreciate on this oh man right. i wasn't i didn't get on this damn podcast to do any quiz no 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 you don't have to do any math <laughs> you just have to take this in so take ken palm non-conference strength of the schedule top 50 programs last year only eight of the teams that played in the top 50 non-conference schedules were ranked in the top 100. Oh, did we lose Jim? No, I'm still here. Oh, okay, sorry. It cut, it cut off for a second. I thought I might have lost Okay. Him. Yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll restate that. 
of the top 50 programs in non-conference schedule last year, according to Ken Palm, only eight of them ended up in the top 100 for overall efficiency in Ken Palm. Then eight more were between 100 and 200, and then 200 plus 34 teams. So playing a harder schedule actually has led to more teams being ranked poorly in the metrics. And then we get into conference play, and Wright State goes up against eight of the 10 teams in the league, or 200 or lower. And then, of course, we don't have an elite team because our league is inadvertently sabotaging our best team's ability to play 20 good conference games because we all come in sucking because we play all these buy games and it really makes a big difference. Like I've got, you know, some metrics I can go through or some other numbers, but I'll give you guys, I'll, you know, I'll give you guys a little pop quiz. If you took the power five conferences plus the big East and the American versus every other conference or everybody else in the country, with the exception of Gonzaga, they played 668 games last year. What percentage do you think that those seven conferences won against everybody else, if you had to guess? 98%. Yeah, I was going to say around 90. It's 86%. They won 92% of the time at home. They won 69% of the time when they were on the road. They played 46 road games out of 668 games. They only played 46 times on the road, like when Matt's talking about getting Oklahoma State to come back. Uh, you know, they played, they did 46, and they won 69 time, 69% of the time. And they played 84 neutral site games, and there they only won 61% of the time. So the key, if you're going to play these programs, you and you want to win, and you want to improve your metrics by playing them, you have to play them where you can beat them. Do not go playing them at their home court. You've got to do what Matt's talking about. Get Oklahoma State to come to the arena, and then you got a chance. you got to get them in the Bahamas, or not the Bahamas, because none of our teams are good enough for that, but you got to get them in Charleston. you got to get them at the Diamond Head. you got to get them at you know the Fort Myers Classic. And then you get a chance to beat them. But if you're but just going to play them on the road, you're going to get your dick kicked in. But I think, I mean, I, I know that those numbers are correct, but you're talking about the best teams in the country who have generally the most amount of money and they're not as concerned about about the buying game. They're the ones scheduling the lower guys because it, it, they're just warm-ups for them. They don't care. Yeah. For, but for teams for a team like us, we, ha- we have to go out and get that money that's 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 the difference to me and at some point yeah no i understand what you're saying about how how the schedule essentially sabotages itself but you have to be able to go out and get that money and so when you look at how those power teams fare in these of course they're they're usually the better team but they don't need to go out and get the money they already have it and yeah, that's that's what we're avoiding yeah basketball if you got Oakland with a 2.2 million dollar budget for men's basketball alone and you're sitting in Green Bay with $1.9 million budget for men's basketball. Uh, you, you know, ask these programs need to ask themselves, okay, is there a way for us to go about through figuring out how to sell more tickets, raising our donations, you know, doing anything, any of their marketing programs? Are we even thinking about how to, you know, increase our revenue without having to go and play, you know, damaging games against teams we can't beat? And that's where I challenge, I'll challenge Charles, our athletic director in Green Bay. I challenge him, you know, this stuff all the time because like, if we're not thinking about that, we're just saying, hey, this is the easy money. Well, then we're giving our chance, ourselves no chance as a lead to get better. I um, mean, how many, how many seats? I don't know if you know this answer. You might not. And that's okay. For let's, let's use Green Bay as, as the example. How many season ticket, how many extra season tickets would they have to sell to equal a $100,000? So I'll give you, I do know the answer to that. Yeah, uh, I figured, right? So, you know, put in perspective, they're down 2,000 people per game, 2,000 people per game 
from five years ago when, when Coach Wardle left. At $10 per person net after you credit card fees and they pay a dollar to the, uh, the Rush Center. So just do 2,000 times $10, that's 20,000 a game times uh, 15 home games. That's $350,000 if I did my math in my head correctly. Or uh, yeah, 200, that's whatever. It's 300, there's your $300,000 right okay. there. Yeah. You know, now, so, for Oakland, like you play in a, you play in a 4,000 seat arena, you can't maybe sell 5,000 seats to a game, but Green Bay has done it, can do it. And all these other programs that are sitting in these big gyms could do it. Yeah. So, well, to your guys' point, the other question that I have is that, how long how sustainable is this because at a certain point in time the they're going to be less and less of these games mostly because of the fact that all of these power five schools are going to these 20 game conference schedules which means they're going to have less and less opportunity to do that less uh, they're going to be looking at non-conference games less and less and a lot of these games and a lot of these all and and it, you can diminish it even less when you have things like, for example, the Big Ten ACC Challenge or some of these uh, some of these exempt tournaments, tournaments like uh, like Diamond Head. Um, how long how long can we look at that? And I'm I'm just speaking of this specifically from a scheduling standpoint. How sustainable is this? Can it be? And is this year going to be kind of the test case for that? Because again. We're in a situation where, yeah, the the whatever price tags were being thrown out for these buy games before, that's out the window. Especially if there's not even a possibility of any fans, or even you know, or even a non-conference schedule for that matter. We haven't even had that conversation yet. When we well, went for at least a couple of weeks. Think about it too, Bob. Like along the same line, supply and demand. If you've got if you've got 70 programs that can do buy games, roughly speaking, at a high level, and they're going to all play two more conference games, now you have 150 less games. Now they don't even have to pay the $100,000 anymore. So that's the whole reason why, if you're not looking for your own revenue sources as an athletic director, and I know it's easier said than it's easier for me to say it than to do it, but you're absolutely right. Like the the track record of this is going to go down. So that means yeah. now our spending is going to go down, and that means you know our ability to do anything good for our programs gets hindered and so to me this is a very damaging thing in the long term for the programs because now you get less opportunities to improve your metrics actually the few times we beat them uh not we but the mid you know the mid majors beat them and you're going to make less money doing it you got to play you know somebody else or you know play these non non d1 games that's another thing that's super damaging in all this that our you know i think our league is missing is that like green bay last year they went they played five games for money last year and then they played two non-D1 games. So they had five really crappy games. And then the two non-D1s don't count. So they played 31 regular season games. So those five games are magnified into the metrics through the 29 games, which makes them even worse than when you're you know, averaging them out over the 31 games. It's so damaging for our programs to play non-D1 programs and then to back that up with three or four or five uh, revenue games because you just totally tank your metrics. Green Bay was the third best team in the league last year. And their numbers sucked. I think at the end of the day, this is, you know, and this is where me and Jim have had this conversation. Anyone who follows both of us on Twitter, you can find plenty of these. Is It's just a, you, there's no winning because we have a different opinion. I think we see it even in different sc schools, how they handle it too, about which is more important. 
I don't think most of the schools care about the strength of schedule, especially for a one bid league. They know that they're going to probably be a 14, 15 seed if they can win the conference tournament. And they, they go in hoping that their, their team is ready to make noise and to, to do damage from there. They're not expecting to have a really high strength of schedule and find a, that 12 seed or that 11 seed or whatever. They just don't care. And they're trying to pick up the few dollars where they can for the program and go in and make sure your team's ready to play and, you know, and, go into the tournament. And I, I do agree that they don't care, but that's why I'm trying to get my messaging out there that they should care because this is something I, I did the numbers for last year. Green Bay, uh, overall against D1 teams only on offense, they scored 105 points for every 100 possessions, and they gave up 100, almost 108. So they're um, almost a negative uh, three points per 100 possessions in a game. Against by games, they scored 90 points per 100 possessions and gave up 112 points. So they're negative 22 points per 100 possessions. But if you just took their mid-major only games, they actually scored 108 points per 100 possessions and gave up 107, which that, you know, if you did the difference between their overall, which is factored in Ken Palm and net, and just what they did against D1, they would have moved up by about, you know, four points per game or four points per 100 possessions. And that doesn't sound like a lot, except that would have moved them up about 50 spots in the Ken Palm. And I did it for Oakland, too, because they had three bye games last year. They scored 98 points per 100, which isn't very good, and they gave up 105 per 100. So they were negative 7 points per 100. Against bye games, they were negative um, 31 points for their three bye games per 100 possessions. And against mid-majors only, they were negative 5 points for the season. That would have moved them up about 25 spots in the Ken Palm. So if every one of our programs is moving themselves up 25 to 50 spots in the Ken Palm and the net, what is that going to do for improving our metrics and then getting us a better chance to you know, one, win a game. And once we get teams winning games in the tournament, we've seen this, Bob, you've been around a long time. You like to joke about being old, but when UW, when Butler was really good, they got UW, UWM rose to that challenge and then Cleveland State rose to that challenge. Yeah. And we were winning games because we we built a good program or a good program brought the other ones around. Well, well we actually, don't have that good program it, today. Actually, we got to build them up. Well, yeah, actually, it probably started with, you know, yeah, I mean, in the 90s, you know, it started with Xavier and Dayton when both of them were still in the conference, if you can remember that far back. <laughs> um, but continued with Detroit Mercy when Rashad Phillips was in, uh, was uh, Rashad Phillips and Willie Green were in this. Um, you also had, you know, not just Butler, you know, two iterations of Butler. You had with Milwaukee in between. You had Cleveland State in between. And I, I guess the question, question then becomes and you answered this a little bit where do we is that the approach that we need to be taking so we can finally get back to where that was or are we at a situation where we have all of these teams that we're not really 100 percent sure how they're going to perform regardless of whether they're playing by games or they're playing joe Fafitz university do we know? Do we know the? Do we know the answer to that? I mean, because I mean, if we're if I'm being honest, last year I had no faith that I had no faith in IUPUI doing anything, um, even though they had quite a you know quite a roster. I had no faith in Cleveland State doing anything, and then thankfully they shocked the hell out of me. But that's the question that we have. Do we? Are we? Does the? You know. It does it still at the end of the day come down to wins and losses, regardless of who they're playing? Um, and I think the answer for me, at least, it has to be yes. It top to bottom, this this conference has had an issue for the last I want to say at least five years, where top the, the the there's a giant chasm 
between the top of the conference and the bottom of the conference. And then if you get into conference play and one of the top teams gets, you know, loses some fluky thing to one of the bottom teams, the entire thing goes out the window. And we've seen that over and over again. How does it, uh, you know, regardless of who they play, how does this conference get better in terms of their performance, not just with, you know, not just with each other, but outside of the conference? Because we could talk about by get, who's who they're playing all we want. If they're still going, you know, if they're still going, you know, 500 or worse during the conference, non-conference schedule, even if they're playing nobodies, that's an issue. Well, honestly, right now, the way the league is operating is we are standing in a, in a thunderstorm trying to catch lightning in a bottle because we're hoping that we get a loud and love type player and then develop them up and get a cast of players around them to where we get one good team. Because what we're dealing with right now, you know, Matt, you, you're you, one of the things I love about you is you're very transparent about your feelings. You don't hide them just to appease people, uh, especially because you have so many connections at Oakland. But you've been very critical of the recruiting for Oakland in the past. Is that that's probably fair to say, like in the recent past, at least? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so all these guys, all these coaches in our league know how to player develop. But if you're starting with a low level, lower level of players, you have to do more player development. So the idea of, you know, improving the league, improving your rating and your stature and your perception, then you go out and you recruit more, you know, higher level players and then you player develop them from there. And now we've got something to build on. Like I'm talking about a pathway, a three to five year pathway to getting back. And instead of a lightning in a bottle where we're just saying, oh my God, let's get, hopefully one team is good. And hopefully that one team doesn't lay an egg in the Indiana Farmers Coliseum if we get to that point. Uh, in March, because otherwise we're not going to get anywhere as a league when we're well, sitting out here damaging the league and the ratings of the league. Mentioning recruiting, I mean, that actually goes back to the buying game as far as from from an Oakland perspective. And I always say that not as an Oakland fan, but just as what I'm most knowledgeable in. Um, Campy talks a lot about how his buying games are a huge recruiting tool because these kids love coming to Oakland knowing that they will get to see some of the best gyms in the country and play the best teams and they don't care about the results. Some of it's the experience. And if you follow Campy or the team on Twitter, you see them going, you know, to Notre Dame and looking at the football stadium or seeing something historic and then going and playing, you know, in, in a historic gym or whatever, like, and that's a huge recruiting tool for Oakland, at least. And I imagine other coaches do the same where you come here, you know, that you're going to get to, you know, if you're a mid-major talent, you're not, you know, waiting for North Carolina to call you and you, you know who you are at some point. Cool. So if you can go find a mid-major and, and live, live your best life and still get to see these places at least, that, that's kind of cool for a lot of these kids. And, you know, especially maybe kid from middle of Pennsylvania. I'm trying to make sure I'm like as not specific as possible. Kid from Pennsylvania who's never traveled anywhere. Like he's super excited to, to maybe come in and get these opportunities. And, you know, if we're talking about focusing on, you know, playing – mid-major you know you never leave the midwest because you're so you're worried about no let's go to california especially you know pre-covid where the, the other team's paying for it let's go out to usc let's you know let's see some of the you know the ucla whatever the case may be I, I think that's something that sometimes is missed in this conversation i don't disagree with that but bob a trivia question which college basketball team plays at the colonial life arena why are you doing this to me i don't it's know just, it's just for fun it's going to be some uh, somebody bought some gym, so we know it is something else, and now it's you know later oh, on. It's South Carolina, and they whooped the shit out of 
Cleveland State there by 27 last year. And, you know, so no kid dreams of playing in Colonial Life Arena. If we're going to Cameron, you're going to the Dean Dome, Poly Pavilion, Fog Allen, you know, Carrier Dome, Assembly Hall, whatever, Krupp, Hinkle, Breslin, fine. But See, Matt, you get, the, you get the advantage of getting to play, like, Michigan State every year. Well, so, that, yeah, that is maybe a Maybe that's where I'm jaded. For your from your standpoint, yes, that is absolutely a perfect tool. But to Jim's well, standpoint, yeah, I couldn't. I barely remember that they even played South Carolina. I mean, most year. of those that Jim just just listed are places that Oakland has played in the past three years. So yeah, that that's exactly yeah. where when I'm talking about. You, you got to schedule smart, like what he's talking about. But I'll give you a question, Matt. Like, who plays at Stegman Coliseum? No idea. Georgia, and they beat Oakland there two years ago by 12. And so that's my point. Is like that's just a paycheck. That's not doing any of the things that you're talking about. You know, you got to get to those big games. Like, I'll give Cleveland State credit because they're going to, they're going, well, they were going to go to Rupp and they're going to go to, um, as far as they know, they're still going to Cameron. Cameron. I mean, assuming the season happens, right? But you, that that's the recruiting experience that you're talking about, Matt. And I, I will never take that away. But like when Green Bay went, goes to CHI oh, actually, Health I think Center, they're still going to play Kentucky too. Rubbery. Yeah, I said Rob. I said Rob. Yeah. You said, but, well, like, they're going to both. So, yeah. But yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, theoretically, like, hey, they're going to both. Yeah, Green Bay's gotten annihilated at Tiger Stadium or whatever Missouri plays in. We've you know lost at CHI Health Center in Omaha. Like nobody dreams of going to those buildings, and so that's where I, I don't think it helps the recruiting. Like last year, the Horizon League was a combined one in twenty three against the top seven conferences. Do you know the only win we got last year? Yep, the uh, Horizon League. Good question. I don't remember. IUPUI over South Florida at something called the Yingling Center. Now, I do like Yingling, so I can at least give it up for that. But, I mean, otherwise, we, you know, Oakland did a better job because they they played at Michigan State, they played at Syracuse, but, like, Detroit Mercy played at NC State, Clemson, um, Notre Dame to a lesser extent. I could see the Catholic rivalry or the, you know, the private school rivalry there. But, I, you know, a lot of our members didn't go out and play anybody of, that was that exciting and didn't do very well in, in playing against them. So I don't know. Well, I had very, not to be fair, I had very diminished expectations from last year. So That's understand, fair. I'm sure, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you'd appreciate why. <laughs> well, and you know, something else that bothers me about this whole experience, like, and this is where I'll give Matt a lot of credit. Why I, why, why I understand his point of view is that Oakland has done a really great job of scheduling uh, their games on like what I'd call linear or traditional broadcast network versus the over-the-top or the app-based network. And that's something else the league hasn't done a great job with. Like, so I couldn't find on Cleveland State's website because, no offense, but that, the, the information is not very good on their website. But I looked it up last year. Of those, uh, of the 21 games I could find uh, on network, or nine of them were played on traditional, like ESPN, ESPNU, ESPN2, Big Ten Network, Fox Sport 1. And 12 of them were played on over-the-top. So you had to go to an app to see it like ESPN plus or SEC plus or ACC plus or ESPN three. And so from an exposure standpoint, we're, you know, green Bay got the pleasure of playing central university of central Florida for whatever, $90,000 on ESPN three. So nobody saw that they lost by more than 13 points. That's a terrible game for them. They shouldn't be doing that stuff, but they needed the money and they did it. 
And uh, that's what that's the part that frustrates me is that like I get what Matt's talking about because the, you know Oakland played on ESPN two and ESPNU, and they were only one of three games on those two channels for the league last year. The other game that we had on ESPNU was uh, like a fifty point drubbing Memphis over uh, UIC. So, but every all these games are hidden on an app. Hey Jim, I just I just want to say that you're, I, I agree with everything you're saying here, but you mentioned the Georgia game, which I think was actually a bad example because yes, Oakland went down to Georgia and lost, but that was part of a series where. Two years before they, that, Oakland they did come to Oakland. I do know they came that, to Oakland because yes. Yante Maiden was a senior, and Oakland won. You know, yep. so that's what I'm saying about just smarter scheduling. But you got to schedule these games. You just need to be smarter about it. How many How many kids that play for Oakland dreamed of losing by 30 at the Xfinity Center? None. How many? None. Grow, how many kids grow up expecting to go to Oakland? Not very many. <laughs> that's but that's well, there was that too. So yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. Like that's that's being honest. Is like. Most kids, even in Michigan, they grow up. They want to. They want to be a Spartan dog and go to Michigan State. You know, and that's fine. Um, Oakland right now, they've got a player. That's their. I think it's their first actual like um, legacy player. Who his dad was was a player for Campy, and now the kid's coming in as a freshman. Like that's 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 cool. This kid wanted to be a freshman. Is that the six six kid from Ohio? Like six seven? Like no, um, no. um, uh, Trey Townsend um, out of Oxford, Michigan. Uh, Yeah, he's a wing. Six 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 seven. Yeah, really solid built kid. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I saw that. Like that's and that's that's pretty cool. I I do agree. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But okay. I, I'm saying that in general, you gotta if you're gonna do it, you gotta be smart about it. Get work for the return game. I can understand that. But don't just go and play on a linear or excuse me on the over the top apps for money that nobody gets to see. It's not helping exposure. No kids are dreaming of that stuff. We're not doing very well with it. And it's hurting the league overall. And I mean, I, I still yeah. maintain that while you're, you know, you, you we can't poo-poo $100,000 here and there. Like, that's the baseball coach's salary. The, the entire baseball team coach's salary is $100,000. Like, you know, if he's making 60000 his assistants are making less. Like, that paid for the baseball team's coaches that year. Like, we can't poo-poo $100,000. Like, All right. So I would tell you, play a, play a game for a couple of years, get $100,000 a year and hire some marketing people that can actually bring in more than $100,000 through other means. That's what I'm telling you is like, it's the path of least resistance. And I just can't stand that because it's just saying, hey, it doesn't matter. We're just going to play in the Horizon League tournament and see what happens and get our 14 seed or our 15 seed and lose by 20 in the tournament and just be sitting here scratching our head going, why aren't we getting anywhere? You know, if you're going to do it, like go out and figure out how to make your own money and do your own thing because that's what the better mid-major leagues are doing. They're not they're not getting their face kicked in for money. Like last year, the Horizon League, uh, seven of our members played in the undercard of a tournament. Missouri Valley had all 10 of their teams play in a neutral site for a tournament. You know, when I mean undercard, like that's the, hey, we go and play two games for money and then we play the, the other teams that get their butts kicked. We play them in a round robin format. Like if you're doing that stuff, you're not going to get ahead. We got to stop that. As a league, we have to stop that. It's not helping. Play two buy games, get you two hundred thousand dollars, and then play teams that you can beat because that what improves metrics is making field goals, not turning the ball over, not following people. Uh, that's how you improve your metric. And then conversely, stopping them from making field goals, getting a rebound, and you know, and don't enforce them in the turnover. So you got to play teams that you can beat, and teams that you can compete against, and you got to play them in places where the referees aren't going to be stacked against you, and the crowds aren't going to be stacked against you. It's just but a isn't that- prophecy but isn't that what you're going to see in the ncaa tournament you have to have the experience to to be ready to weather that storm too 
Sure, but in the NCAA tournament, when you're the underdog and you're the 13 seed and you've got you know the four seed on the ropes, I can tell you what, who the crowd's pulling for, and it's not the four seed. But you got to get to that. I mean, I, I think back to when Oakland somehow you know didn't belong in the NCAA tournament. We're talking what was that late or early 2000s, and they they drew North Carolina in North Carolina, but it was far enough away that they could be like you walked into a sea of baby blue, and you're like, well, shit, this is kind of <laughs> cool, but this is gonna be awful. Yeah. No, I agree. You know, there there is an element of you got to be battle tested, but you know, I see it around the league where teams are getting battle tested four or five times, and it's actually, you know, when I talk to the coaching staff in Green Bay, they tell me it's actually bad for team morale. Like after a while, they're wondering why why aren't we getting a whistle? Why are we, you know, traveling all the way to the West Coast to play this game? Like if especially if it's not somewhere pretty cool, um, it, it, that's what you know. It's it is a balance and work towards smarter things. But bigger picture, I'm saying let's work as a league towards our own independent revenue. And uh, play better teams. Like, well, wouldn't you love to get a game with Northern Iowa as an example and get yourself battle tested against one of the best mid-major teams? You know uh, what? That probably would be a good game. But at no point in my life have I been like, man, I really want to play Northern Iowa this year. And it would no, be a great game. But it would be a great game for the league. And you know the issue with that is Northern Iowa. I can flat out tell you this because the guy who used to do the scheduling for Green Bay told me this. They will only play at their arena, and they pay between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars. So if you're thinking, hey, I'm not going to win anyway and they're not going to return the game under any circumstances, well, then you're going to go take $100,000 from somebody else. And that's, you know, the, that's the mindset that you know, is around the league. And um, you know, that's what I'm just saying. Like, if you get to the point where you lift yourself up a little bit as a program and as a league, we'll start to get better mid-major games, and we you know, start to improve ourselves. So, All right, we'll just... agree to meet in the middle for the day. All right. All righty. Jim, where can everybody find you online? Uh, at Jim Cero on Twitter, and uh, let's see, do I have a TikTok or a Snapchat or an Instagram? No, I'm o- I'm over forty. I don't have any of those. I'm only on Twitter. So there you go, Bob. All I right. have one more really really quick point. Not with Jim. So this will be super quick. In case there's any NKU fans still listening, please, <laughs> please stop the Tyler Sharp thing. If we're gonna compare apples to oranges, we're not gonna get anywhere. Every time he or somebody whines about, oh look, so and so got immediate eligibility. They're talking about a kid transferring from a school that's still eligible. Tyler Sharp is not eligible. He played over the 20% of games that the NCAA, NCAA uses as their measuring stick. That's not how you're going to win that battle. Stop it. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, I totally missed this conversation. So, yeah, I know you had one. I just wasn't paying attention that day. You're so. fine. Yeah, I'm, hey, I'm, 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 I'm staying out of that one. <laughs> and can I just make a little comment on Tyler Sharp, too? Uh, I think Tyler Sharp's an amazing player. He is yes. the kind of player that you love him if he's on your team. You but I think the other, and I think the other nine programs around, or now eleven programs around, around the league, but the nine that have played against him are plenty happy to not see him get his waiver. That <laughs> else and he doesn't a deserve player. a waiver, and it's not because I don't like Tyler Sharp. It's because that's the NCAA rule, and they haven't budged on that. They're giving kids immediate eligibility like it's candy, and I would love for some of these uh, horizon transfers to get it. But meanwhile, that has nothing to do with getting a, oh, that year didn't count waiver. It counted. Sorry, bud. Yeah, it's a, don't be mad at the rules. Change the rules. But, you know, it's not a, it's not a waiver situation. It's a, you know, the rule is flawed, not necessarily the... Sure. You know. I'm willing to have that different conversation. But the way they're approaching it is every time some Rothstein posts that, oh, so-and-so got immediate eligibility. Oh, well, look at this. See, look the NCAA. No. That's a different situation. It's apples and oranges. Can we at least stay within the, the guidelines here? You know what, Matt? We were, I came into this wanting to disagree with you on everything, but I'm going to leave on a high note. 
I can Look agree with that. that. Hey, thanks, Jim. All right. Yeah, okay. Can we? Okay. If we if we keep this, yeah, this has been going on for a while. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I missed this conversation. So, I was I was more I was more troubled by uh by your brother posting pictures of you, Matt. Those are great. If you're not catching those, go find those. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> they will haunt my dreams. Oh, he hasn't even gotten the best ones yet. <laughs> I'm gonna go now. All right. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. So, so yeah, we are. Uh, so, um, th- so as always, find episodes of the Horizon Roundtable on um, HorizonRoundtable.com. Uh, you can be sure to subscribe to us wherever you're, wherever podcasts are available, and you can pull them up on your Apple. Uh, God damn it! Every time, every freaking time, I say Apple. It's not Apple. It's Amazon and Google. And yes, it does work on my Google Amazon device again. So I was really happy about that. So um, that's gonna do it for everybody, and uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs>